Join us and unwind with a good book. Welcome to Relaxing Reads. I'm Deb in Halifax. I'm Simone in Vancouver. And I'm Tanya in Edmonton. Our latest read, The Sea Between Two Shores, is a powerful novel following two families brought together to reckon with what it means to make amends for historic wrongs and the wrongs we commit against the ones we love. One family comes from a small island in the South Pacific nation of Vanuatu who are mourning the death of their son in the aftermath of a devastating cyclone while worrying about the looming departure of another. The other family is from Toronto who are also locked in mourning after the accidental drowning of their youngest son. The two come together sharing in the healing process both from their own losses and those from their ancestors and how they might be able to move forward to create a better future for that younger generation. Ladies, how are you feeling? Wow. Wow. <laughs> it took me a little bit to uh to get into it and then I I don't know something just clicked and I just I couldn't stop reading. I, I couldn't, it, it was just like these characters just became a part of me. And I was really looking forward to the next chapter to see who was going to talk next, you know, who was going to tell the story next. And, and I love that's the way she, she kind of wove the story together. It was really compelling for me to, to read mm-hmm. it in that way. Same for me. I mean, usually I know Tanya out of the three of us is more the avid reader. And when we were kind of touching base and, and Tanya said, you know, she's, it's taken her a bit to get into it. I was worried about myself because I do like more of those light, fluffy reads, Uh but I was surprised at how quickly I actually got into it. And normally when there's so many characters in a book. Um, usually you have the one that you're following and then you've got all the side characters. This one had a lot of main characters. They were all main characters, all a part of the story. But, you know, Tannis was able to keep it moving. There was a lot of forward momentum and it's almost like you weren't lost if you started reading about another character. When the next one came and the story of them continued, you were able to pick it up. So I was surprised at how well it was put together because I felt like there was a lot of that forward momentum which helped me and of course like there was a lot to ingest and take in but once you get through it it just it does it weaves together so well so I enjoyed it more than I think I thought I was going to. I did too and I think it's quite interesting that there was an initial struggle to get into it but I think it it says a lot about what the story what this novel is really all about and the struggles that these characters um, go through themselves and how it relates to the struggles of, of, you know, different communities in our country and and around the world and, and how we're trying to figure out what it all means, what, what it's all about. We're struggling to come to um, a conclusion when perhaps it's going to take, uh, you know, more time than we realize. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the last couple of reads we've had have been rom-coms and a little bit lighter and a little more fun. And this book is heavy, like it gets into grief, guilt, colonial trauma, reconciliation, cultural divides, climate change. There's a lot in this book that's packed in. It's information I feel like we need and we need to continue learning. Uh, for either of you, was there any particular issue out of all of that or anything else that 
kind of resonated with you in particular? A lot. <laughs> you know, I, I, all those things that you actually brought up, I was sort of in tap with all of them. I mean, you know, I had a friend of mine, and we've had conversations about this before, and I'm not going to go into it deeply, but he, he has said to me, you know, when we've had some racial problems and we've had issues around the whole world, he's like, he, he says, what if they just would have stayed home? <laughs> It's an interesting concept. What would have happened if everybody would have just stayed home? Um, anyway, human beings are not like that. We tend to just go out into the world. Now, yeah, this book covers a lot of themes. Um, and there was points in the book where I was just angry. And there were points where I was sad. And then I was elated. And then I was like, yeah, we need to do this. And, you know, one of the things that I connected with um, was the theme of grief. And mm. I connected with it because... Grief is just this really difficult thing for people uh, to, to, to manage in our culture here in Canada, from my perspective. I mean, you know, I've lost a mom. Uh, I've lost friends. And it's like, you know, people don't even know. They don't want to be around you. They don't want to talk to you because they don't know how to talk to you. And a lot of them don't have, you know, maybe they've never lost somebody who has been close to them. So there's this big wall where the person who is grieving doesn't really have anywhere to go. And and so I really liked how Tannis explored it from two different cultural backgrounds. You know, one from, from Michelle in Toronto, where she is sort of like drowning in her grief. And she wants the grief to be all hers. And she's shutting out her son. She's shutting out her husband. And it's like she's just internalizing. And, and I, know, I know what that feels like. <laughs> and then there's like Rebecca, who, because of her culture... You know, she has a ritual of how they grieve. And I loved how you'll read in the stories how she had the the cord that she wrapped, that she put around her neck made with feathers and all that. And she keeps it on her neck for a year to grieve her son that she lost. It's part of what they do. And everybody in the community grieves. It's not just her. The weight isn't just on her or her family. It's a community that comes together and bears the weight of the grief. And I think I just, I thought, oh my goodness, like, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if it was mm -hmm. like that here, you know? And maybe we need to make it like that, but it's definitely not the same. And so I really kind of, I was just really gravitating towards Rebecca and I was just going through the book and sometimes I had tears in my eyes and I'm like, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. We shouldn't have to shoulder so many things on our own. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child, right? And I just feel like that should be part of all of the stuff that we go through. We should really tap into our friends and family and our community more. So anyway, <laughs> that's long and short of the, the grief part for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I agree, like the, the, the grieving part. And I think even within similar cultures or the same culture, same community, everybody grieves differently. So even if you have an exper have experienced loss, your loss, even if it was a parent as well, if we've all lost a parent, um, is not going to be the same experience or the same feelings that the person next to you might have. Um, so right. I think when when Rebecca explains to Michelle the difference between their son's deaths and um, not just the rituals that she goes through, but how her baby, had he not been living in a poor and forgotten <sighs> community mm -hmm, like yes. hers would have been saved. I was initially thinking that somehow Michelle is going to see that connection and find it and they will come together. But 
um, it it took a while for her to to see a lot of things. But I yeah I, I I don't know. I think I was hoping more for Michelle with that those two characters and what they shared. I was I think I was hoping for that too. You know, you see Jacob and Zach come together to grieve their brothers and they were able to kind of connect in that and talk a little bit about it. But I think Rebecca and Michelle just had their differences about it and you know, in Michelle's case, maybe that's just it. She doesn't know how to grieve. She doesn't understand it. And then Rebecca doesn't understand why she doesn't know how to grieve because she's yeah. had support. So, again, it's one of those things that it's it it was nice for them to kind of be able to connect, but it wasn't enough for them to get through it. And everybody goes through grief differently. You see some people bounce back more quicker. And then you see some people who will grieve something an entire lifetime and they can they can't move past it. And I think it's just such an individual basis, but I think like you mentioned Tanya to have some kind of support where it's just not on you because when you are grieving, chances are the people around you are grieving if it's something to do with a family, but if you shut yourself out, you're not seeing past yourself, but how do you get there? There needs to be a way to do it. And with Rebecca, that's how she was raised. She was raised to have the support of the village and the community. And it's still hard, but you're not, you're not like, as you mentioned, shouldering it all on your own. And I think for Michelle, it's just the husband's looking for a quick fix. And hopefully that, and that's his way of grieving. Like, let's get out of this situation and let's do this. And her way is no, Mm -hmm. I need to stay here and I need to grieve in, in this home because this is how she's grieving. So everyone deals with it so differently. And then you, when you have a a lot of people coming together it's there's going to be a bit of conflict no, and no way to grieve is right or wrong no that's that's true yeah yeah exactly is there like a a character or a storyline that that you most connected with in, in this book I mean there's so many but is there one that you just sort of like really sunk into you yeah Jacob and Zach I did want it to be the mothers but it didn't work out I guess in my head as I thought it might but I did really love the relationship between Jacob and Zach. And, and again, talking about how each character is dealing with everything on their own terms or trying to figure out what's happening and what they should be feeling and when they should be feeling it. But those two coming together and feeling like part of their life is normal and just hanging out, hanging out like they, they were buds for a very long time. It was very touching. For me, I'd have to say Michelle was the one for me, just, you know, being a modern mom in a, you know, a big city. And, you know, she has two boys. I have two boys. And you you think of those kind of situations. I feel like for me, mom guilt is always with you. You know, if you miss a hockey game or you're not here or you're at work, you just you think about your kids constantly. And for her to have to have gone through that and the feeling of I wasn't there for my children when all you do is try to be for your children and be for your family, be there for them. But, you know, there is life, there is work and there's other things that come up. So that part of it just um, really hit with me because it's just it was sad what she had to go through. But you just you just think like, what if something like that was to happen? It's it's scary. uh, But these things happen all the time. So I just I was rooting for her to hopefully get to a place where she could give more of that support to her son and her daughter, but yet understanding that she's, if you lose a child or you lose a, a parent, it, that's your connection to like your past or your future. And it's it's difficult to, to go through that. And so 
I just, I really kind of felt a, a connection to her, even though I haven't gone through an experience like that. I just felt it's something that people have to deal with. And there's that, that mom mm. guilt all the time. And I think too, like I, I never had children and I, but I've had, you know, friends who have children and they, you know, they tell me it is a love that you, I can't even describe. And, and in a way I'm like, oh gosh, I really wish I could feel that. And so I, I try to, you know, when I'm reading about Michelle and Rebecca and I'm trying to immerse myself in, in how they feel about losing a son and it's almost overwhelming. Um, for me, a couple of, a couple of characters, I mean, obviously Zach and, and Jacob and Zach, I, I just, you know, he was cutting himself. Mm-hmm. to feel pain because that's what he felt he deserved and and I my heart just broke because of that um and then there's Jacob and then this is one that sort of related to me is um Jacob wanting to go off the island because there is nothing for him there and there's nothing for young people to make money to keep everything going. So he's going to go to New Zealand and make his money and all of that. And of course, things changed at the end of the book. But, you know, and I kind of related it back to I'm from a farming community. And, you know, certainly, I never wanted to stay on the farm, there's nothing for me there. But, you know, even in the community that I grew up with, all those farms are going to go away, because there isn't one kid that I grew up with, who stayed on the farm. And what is that, right? Is it that there's no money in farming? They want, they don't want what their their parents had. I'm not too sure. So it's sort of like this, this thing that I grew up with surrounded by, and I see it shrinking because now farming has become a big, huge industry. Um, and I just hope that, that at some point, and you're starting to see it now where farms are a little bit smaller now, they're boutique. Um, there's the whole farm to fork thing. So maybe young people will take an interest and kind of go back to the land in a different way um, and, and provide as opposed to the way that I grew up. But it's just, so that's sort of how I felt with Jacob was like, he loves where he comes from. It's his home. And, you know, the, the conversations he had with his dad and it's sort of like, but I got to go. There's nothing for me. I got to go, you know? And I sort of, I really get that. I get that because I've experienced it and and, I, and my friends have experienced it. So, Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite talking about that and hearing you talk about that and the different generations, I guess we all look at things differently too. When our parents were um, starting to raise the kids and and working, they they didn't have careers necessarily. What they did was something they had to do. They needed to do the work that they did, whereas now there are so many different options. And what I loved was when Jacob came home and surprised his family to be there um, when things were really starting to to roll and and um, yes, g- oh. give any too much away. But but that surprise when he arrived home to help out um, with how things were progressing. I guess you're right. He was so proud of where he came from and to be there and see how things had had changed and and how things were moving forward. I think was pretty special. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, it's that hope, right? It's uh, he didn't completely want to leave where he was from. He wanted to leave for a bit, um, put in the work he needed to for his education, and then come back and see his community thrive. And I, I love that. I loved um, the way the book book ended with that that positive note and uh, that hope for the future for the younger kids. Yeah, absolutely. 
What do you think will happen with the families of Michelle and Rebecca? Do you think that they'll stay connected? Because they left off connected in a way, especially the, the boys. What do you foresee with that? I think the kids will be more connected than their parents. And I, I hope that they play an even bigger role in each other's lives, learning more, teaching more. Um, for each generation, but I think it will be the children, not necessarily the parents. I kind of felt that too. I really felt it was it's the kids who are going to stay together because I don't know whether Michelle and Rebecca will ever really connect. I just think they're so different. Um, but I really felt like Zach and Jacob for sure. I mean, they're like texting each other back and forth, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. on their phones. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, Jacob, J- at the end of the book, we, things are happening for Jacob and I kind of see, you know, things will eventually happen for Zach. And, and um, I think they will have that connection back and forth throughout the rest of their lives. And, and I think the girls will too, you know, in a different way. I just don't see it with the parents, but I do see the next generation, which is very promising when you think that there are generations that do not connect for whatever reason, and it just takes the next one to kind of form a bridge or have new thoughts, new ideas that they can then kind of move forward in the same direction that their parents never could for whatever reasons, right? And what an experience for Zach, you know, growing up in Toronto, living here, living in this world, first world country, have everything at your fingertips. And, you know, to go and experience a place like that, it just reminded me of like growing up, we would go to India all the time. And it was just entering a whole new world. And, and we would play with so many kids. And every time we went back, we did have a connection with them. But it was so important for us to go there just to see a different way of life. And it really made us appreciate what we had each time we we came home. And, you know, I just thought that was so, you know, the way it happened was interesting that they got called to kind of come for this reconciliation ceremony. But he got to go and experience this place, meet new friends. And, you know, when he's texting, he's he's hopeful about returning there. And I just think that's really neat because he's got this bond somewhere else in the world with someone who's completely raised differently than him. And he can bring some of what he has to the table for Jacob and vice versa. So I just, I think if kids get to have these experiences or even adults where you can immerse yourself in different cultures and different places, I think that's a huge part of some of the work that needs to be done for the future is just understanding. It's not as easy just being here and living in your bubble and reading. But if you actually get to go and experiencing experience that, I think that's just incredible. And you're so blessed if you get to do that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I sort of want to uh, leave my thoughts with is I really love the idea of the Nasara. Now, I might be saying it wrong. <laughs> the meeting ground that Rebecca and David's uh, culture have or where everybody comes together. And there's a, there's a point in the book, which I thought was very poignant. Um, and it's David. And, you know, like some parts of these books just brought me to tears because I just thought it was so lovely. Um, but David says, you know, there are many roads that connect us. Some of, their, some of them are the actual paths that link village to village, ally to ally. We have built sacred roads uh, through marriages and exchanges, through children, adoptions, it's a web that connects us all. And he says of the Nasara, the meeting place, um, reminding like who we are charged to take care of, who takes care of us. The roads that we build never disappear, but they may grow over or be forgotten. We gather here to remember. And I think that is sort of like one of the big things about this book is the the coming together and you do these rituals and, and we do it within our own culture of remembering the past, remembering our ancestors. And I think we build stronger bridges, stronger communities through 
doing these things with our families and our friends. And we keep doing them because if you don't, you forget, right? Mm -hmm. You forget. And I think it's Mm -hmm. so important to that people continually, you know, do these things. So that was one of the the meeting plays. The Nasara was like something that just really like, huh, (laughs) really, (laughs) really gave me gave me goosebumps. And I just love David's words of why they have it and why it's so important that they come together and and keep the bonds alive, you know? Yeah. Definitely a thought-provoking book that makes you feel um, a good time to connect with Tannis Rideout herself and uh, have her answer some of our questions. Tannis Rideout, we are so excited and so happy to have you here with us. We loved your book and it is so incredibly powerful. How did The Sea Between Two Shores come together and where did that idea come from? Thanks. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to get a chance to talk about it. And, you know, you spent so long working on, or I spent so long working on books that uh, you never know how people are going to respond. So it's great when you get to talk to people about it. The Sea Between Two Shores was not a book that I was looking for about maybe like five years ago, maybe more than that now. My husband and I were going on vacation and we went to uh, the South Pacific and we went to Fiji and to Vanuatu and it was just supposed to be totally a vacation, like not thinking about work. Like we went for a month. It was fantastic. And we were sitting in our first bungalow on this um, island called Tana in Vanuatu and uh, sitting, looking over the ocean. And, you know, there were guidebooks that people had left there previously and so we were sending through them. And I came across like just like a paragraph, like two lines about these missionaries from Halifax who had been killed um, on the island. And I was just like, huh, I wonder if there's there's a story there. And, you know, I kind of made note of it, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it that wasn't kind of the same sort of colonial telling that we've heard of these sort of like first contact stories. And so I just kind of put it away. But Vanuatu was unlike anywhere I had traveled at that point in time, still like unlike anywhere I've traveled. And it really took up a lot of mental real estate in my brain and emotional real estate. And I just, when I came back, I just started reading everything that I could about the place and like the history and the geography and the culture. And I then came across um, a book that talked about a reconciliation ceremony that had occurred on a different island, but between the descendants of uh, missionaries who had been killed on the island and the descendants of the indigenous people who had been there at the time. And I just kind of sat with it and I was like, that's, that's a way to get at this story that isn't just this kind of historical time capsule, but is about how it, these things continue on, but also how can you move forward and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. And I've just been was thinking about that a lot. And I've been thinking about that over the years while I've been writing it. And, and then it, it sort of showed up as a bit of a gift. I wrote a first draft really quickly, which is also very unlike me. And, uh, just kind of then went went from there but it was not it wasn't a book that I was looking for that's for sure isn't it interesting that you go on vacation to unplug yet this just calls out to you yeah that's really uh, amazing that uh, you know you were compelled to to write about this now the novel prior to this above all things had a great response to it so what is some of the response you've received from readers on this novel uh, yeah it's I mean it's quite I mean there's a historical component and sort of you know separate storylines so there's you know it's connected in in some ways I feel like a very different 
writer at this point in time than I, who I was when I wrote Above All Things. And Above All Things sort of had this kind of ridiculous reception that was, you know, I was totally not expecting and did well, you know, across Canada, but also internationally. It was just like, yeah, it was, it was quite stunning. And the, I think The Sea Between Two Shores is a much more difficult book in a lot of ways. I think emotionally, I think just structurally and about more difficult things, above all things, this, you know, this sort of romantic, epic adventure. And uh, The Sea Between Two Shores was, is struggling with things. So it's been, it's been quieter, but then the people who respond to it seem to be responding so strongly to it. I think they're really finding things in it that, that speak to them about what I think a lot of us are thinking about these days in a lot of areas of our lives, like both systemically and personally of just like how how do we move forward? How do we make good? How do we do better? It feels like we've been in this kind of call out space for a long time of like wanting to talk about, you know, systemic problems or personal problems, but we're really struggling with what it means and what it looks like to move forward from that. And so, yeah, I think people are really responding to that idea of like, what is, what's the next step? Like, what do we do now? And yeah, so the people I've spoken to, it's, they, they, it seems to hit something in them in a way that, yeah, while people really liked the bubble things, it didn't kind of get into them, I think, in quite the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. It is definitely a book that makes you feel all the feelings. Absolutely. This is uh, Tannis. It's Tanya in Edmonton. (laughs) I loved how you weave the story from from chapter to chapter. And it's like different characters um, were telling the story. But the way you did it, you didn't kind of go over something that was in the chapter before. You just kept going with the story, moving forward. So where one character left off, the next chapter was the next character. And they continue the story. And I just really loved how you did that throughout the book, right? And and I was thinking about, you know, all the characters that you developed, and they're, they're so compelling. Um, the children in, in particular, wondering why you, um, you chose to not kind of verbalize their ages. It was always sort of something that the reader, we were sort of, we would go through the book and go, okay, I think this person is about this age from what you're talking about. And I think this person is this. And, and I was never really sure about, about Fina. And I'm wondering, is that like a choice for you to sort of leave that open? I don't think it was necessarily intentional. I think like Fina is such a, like from a different space and time than we are that I think like, if I said that she was 15, I think we think about Mm. 15-year-olds that we know, and that might not quite translate, or if she was 13, you know, like, I think that, like, just kind of also just, like, how different cultures number their their ages and things like that, I think, are also very different. I can't speak specifically to how uh, Niva and Arachi people would have done that at that point in time, but... Um, so it's fine. It was it was kind of a bit more intentionally blurry, but she is just, like, she is a young girl who's on the, you know, cusp of womanhood and um but is still, you know, a talking to a girlfriend when I was working on it and being like, I don't know, you know, like whether the sort of this funky young girl it was like quite the right thing for this particular culture. And she's like, there have always been funky young girls and it's like, you're right. Uh, (laughs) I love that. Yeah, like there always has been in across every culture, like no matter what it looks like, there's there's been those young girls and women. So yeah, it was more kind of a sense of her age and her position than like, yeah, she's 13 or 15 or it's 
that she's about to be married, she's ready to move on to this next sort of phase of her life, like that, that that's her positioning. And then with Zach, who I kept struggling with, like, how old are kids when they drive now? Like, does he have a driver's license? Because <laughs> it's changed since I was 16. So I was like, that, I kept getting kind of hung up on that. So he's sort of like, he's, you know, 15 turning 16. And um, I, for some reason, not that driving would come up, but I didn't want him to be his driver's license um and like but who he is as, as like kind of around the same age as fine is also very different or even with jacob who's older than zach but is mm-hmm. so much older than zach because of just like how yeah i had their difference in growing up you know like that zach and his entire family kind of get the privilege of being more immature than um than the tabes on iparade Right, right. So by doing that, I kind of feel like you've kind of left the boundaries sort of limitless. And the reader, instead of focusing on what a typical 13-year-old would be or whatever, we can then just kind of go with the character that you have given us and just kind of feel them more as opposed to trying to put them in a little box of like, oh, well, this old, this old, right? And it just kind of broadens our feelings about them and and our development of those characters in our own minds. Yeah, and I think because we're also different at different ages. I worked with teenage girls for a long time in Toronto, and, like, one 14-year-old would be totally different than another 14-year-old in terms of, like, where they were at, like, mentally and physically, and, like, you know, versus, like, who I was as a 14-year-old. And, yeah, you need to have sort of boundaries on the age and for general purposes, but at the same time, like, being, like, he is 16. It feels like it it tells (laughs) us certain things that maybe... They, yeah, readers might just jump to different conclusions. But if you're just like, he's a, you know, he's in his mid-teens. And this is, you yeah. know, who, who he is. Yeah. Is there a character that you were drawn to in particular when you were writing? I like the boys, I have to say. I mean, Fido was, was fun. She kind of came a little bit later um, in the historical section. Um, initially, it was written as letters and diary entries from Josephine's point of view. And uh, working with my editor, Anita Chong at McClellan and Stewart, we sort of slowly kind of moved it over to being in Sina's hands. And like, yeah, again, like writing a funky teenage girl, what it was for her, like she interested me, like why, what was she drawn to in these strangers? And what was she getting out of this relationship? And like, that was really interesting to try and get at. But I think, um, I think Zach kind of ended up being the heartbreak for me in the book, like he, he started taking up more and more of the book through various drafts. Like he, he had, he, he was always one of the voices, but it was sort of really nailing down that how broken he was and how much he was carrying as his family's, you know, trauma that, um, yeah, I feel like I, I kind of knew him the best and like, want to be like, it's okay, it'll be okay. <laughs> like, so yeah. I think that goes mm. at the end of the day was like, who really got, yeah, inside me uh, a little bit, which I wouldn't have necessarily expected. But yeah, I, I like him. He's trying, he's trying really hard, you know? Yeah, and it's not easy with, you know, what he's been through in life. Yeah. Reading the book, it carries a lot of weight because it really makes you think. And, you know, I have boys and there's there's situations like that where you're like, you know, how would you even cope 
if something like that happened. And my favorite moment in the book was when Jacob and Zach went to the, through that swimming hole into that, that cave or that it was just, it felt like such a magical moment of connection. Like what would you say was your favorite moment in the book and why? Yeah, I really liked, yeah, getting Zach and Jacob together at various moments. Like I wanted to, I wanted to write something that was hopeful at the end of the day as well. I feel like there's this idea online that I keep meaning to look up where I first found it called um, Hope Punk, which basically posits that the most punk thing you can be in today's cynical and difficult times is, is hopeful. And I've just, I've been thinking about that for years. It's just like how the kind of work I want to put into the world and Zach and Jacob and Anai and Astrid are like, are they're the, they're the hope in the book. And so whenever they get to like be together and be with each other and exchanging ideas and not always easily, especially with Jacob and, and Zach, like they, you know, they chase each other a little bit and, but they're working towards something and they, they want to build something and they're seeing something and then with their little sisters as well. And in some ways I feel like the adults in the book, I'm like, okay, like you've had your moment, <laughs> like, and now it's time for these characters to kind of like take over the story and move forward with it. And so, um, yeah, there's like, there's that especially towards the end that I, I like for what I, what I hope they do in the book in terms of writing, I, I always love writing physical stuff, like some of like the swimming stuff, and like yeah, that scene of going through the cave, and like when Zach's dad is snorkeling. Like I, I like writing. That's that's the stuff that's kind of fun to write is the like physical stuff more so sometimes than the emotional things that tends to take more work and plumbing of your own depths to get to versus like trying to describe water or, you know, the smells of an island or, or that kind of thing. So I enjoy writing the physical stuff. I think at the end of the day, the stuff that I feel the best about is the, the hard for conversations between between some of the characters. And it was some of those conversations that made me think, you know, this this is a work of fiction. You have created this story based on some historical things that you found out. But I'm wondering, like, when your readers read the book, I mean, there's so much in this book that is happening today, right? I mean, reconciliation, of course, we know that that, that is very present. We still do have colonialism in missionaries to some extent. There's like the, the mm-hmm. environmental issues and all of that. So what do you hope your readers will absorb from this book? Do you think that putting kind of these real issues within a fictionary world will help them digest it a little more safely, maybe, and and maybe be able to, to really kind of think about some of the things that are happening right now and, and what we should be doing to, to help? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I feel like these things seem so massive, right? Like, Mm-hmm. and and reconciliation and the environment and like it all seems so enormous and so out, outside of us even though like you know my I had several planes canceled because of the insane snowstorms over the holidays and like you know I'm I'm in back in LA and it's been raining for you know two weeks straight and like like we're in up north of California there's like crazy flooding and like we're living in it with the environment yeah. right like mm. it's like there's like, well, it's also personal, and yet it also feels so big and massive that I think sometimes if you can tell a story and put a face to it, it it's, it's hits in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I guess, I, 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 yeah, I wanted people to 
I kind of want the book to be a bit of a gateway drug, if that makes sense. It's like, here are these, you know, I think we read headlines once in a while about, like, you know, these islands that are disappearing in the Pacific, but it feels so far away. It is far away, but it is a direct consequence of, you know, what we're doing, what our place is doing. And um, maybe a lot of people who come to this book have never even heard of Vanuatu, or if they have, it's because there was a season of Survivor that was shot that, you know, like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what came yeah. to I mind. Had never, yeah, I had never too. heard of the, this area, so... <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And so, like, my hope is that, like, yeah, maybe it opens a door for people to be like, oh, I want to know more about this place. I want to make a connection with this place. I want to understand something. And therefore, what does that do about my life and like how we can maybe like unsilo ourselves to to an extent and you know I, I think that and I think that's what fiction can do that sometimes maybe nonfiction can't is like allow you hopefully to have an enjoyable experience while learning a little something that makes you go I want to know more about this I want to like read some Indigenous Canadian writers, whether that's, you know, fiction or nonfiction, or I want to read a Hawaiian writer, or I want to read a Maori writer, and just, like, you know, understanding, like, just how big these problems are, but they're also in our day-to-day lives. They're in the choices that we make. They're in the connections that we make, and there are ways to be engaged. And, I, yeah, like, that's my hope, is that, like, it gives people a bit of an open door uh, that then allows them to maybe want to examine what they can do instead of just feeling so overwhelmed and uh, snowed under by, you know, bad news <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You need to yeah. do. Yeah. So it's like, and the best, you know, it makes us all feel better when we take action as well. So, mm-hmm. Well, I think, that, you know, over the years here, we've, we've heard stories, perhaps similar stories, but now, I think what you've done is really important because more people are listening. We're not just hearing a story, but we're actually listening and taking notes. So I think what you've mm-hmm. done is is very important. And you've hit the mark because we have had so many feelings um, th- through your work, through through this book and these characters. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, that's the magic of fiction, right? It's the empathetic the empathetic imagination of fiction both as a writer and as a reader that like there's real magic in imagining yourself into other people's experiences and there's real there's a real gift in that and I think you know for lots of good reasons we're talking a lot about who gets to write stories and publish stories and and things like that but I also think there there is something important about reading outside of your life and and writing outside of your life. If I had to write about myself, I like I couldn't I couldn't do it. Um, it's like I, I have to live it. I don't want to like r- write it and, and yeah. uh, you know and so like, and I and I think that needs to be done carefully and thoughtfully and with a lot of um, ethical considerations and conversations and research and all of those things. But um, I think that there's yeah, there's a lot of power in in being able to imagine yourself into other places and other times and other lives. And, like, that's how we connect with people, or it's how I connect with people, is I read something and I go, I need to know more, I want to know more, and it makes 
it makes my world bigger. And what other experiences will you be sharing with us? What's next for you? Yeah, I've just finished rereading a second draft of a, of a new thing, which is, um, I would say, very different than both Above All Things and The Sea Between Two Shores, but I think picks up some of the ideas of The Sea Between Two Shores. It's still about still a lot about forgiveness and making good, but in a very different kind of context. So yeah, I'm hoping it goes a little bit quicker than, than the last <laughs> one. Um, the Sea Between Two Shores went quicker than Above All Things, so maybe maybe it's just like it gets shorter as I, as I, as I get better as a writer, I hope. But um, yeah, I th- it's still working a lot of these same kinds of questions about forgiveness and uh, doing better and reconciliation in, in small ways and big ways and yeah but that's that's what I'm like worrying at these still these days is, is how do we how do we move forward how do we how do we forgive what does that look like does everybody get to be forgiven should we forgive like that, that's kind of what I'm yeah that's where I'm at these days so it's connected but uh, just sort of philosophically connected. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you so much, Tennis, you. for your time today. Thank and you, you answered, yeah, a lot of our questions. And yeah, we thoroughly thank enjoyed the book. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thanks, thank Tannis. You. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for kicking back and relaxing with us. We hope you'll join us again on Relaxing Reads.